So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just wanna know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome back to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey is. Hi, Em. A lot of good things happened in Bravo this week. I would say it was definitely a top tier week. But my biggest takeaway is that I worship the ground Karen Huger walks on. You just can't do it like Karen Huger. You just can't be the grand dame. She's electric. I get so happy. Like I really, truly just get so happy. She's on my screen. I'm like, I am buying what you're selling. I kind of felt that way about all the women in Potomac this week. I was just elated to be back with them and the opening scene of all of them sitting in the cherry blossoms. I mean, to really just throw us in with Giselle and Karen walking together and being funny is like genuinely the best thing I could have asked for. Well, we talk about this all the time with them where, yes, of course, their fights have been genuine, but we also say there's an underlying friendship there or at least like a mutual respect. And I think in the past we've said it's because they both know that they each do shady really well. So you can at least respect the opponent. And it was refreshing almost to see that side not even really exist, maybe temporary, but I don't know. They just felt bonded. It was so good. It was so good. This whole episode was really just sort of establishing like where everybody is and getting back after a couple months apart, which I love a fresh start like that. And it just was like light in the best way, like not complicated. I mean, maybe it was because I was thinking about Salt Lake City and just how that made my head spin and and Beverly Hills and everything. So to come in, they're all being funny. They're all being shady. It's very clear what's going on in everyone's lives and sort of what we can expect from the season. And I just like had such a pleasant viewing experience. Oh, me too. I, I, listen, coming off of Beverly Hills, the thing you really need is Potomac. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's so – Beverly Hills is so intense. I know we'll get into it. And Salt Lake City, exactly as you said, it's just chaotic. Like I know we're only, what, three episodes in, but completely to your point, my head is already spinning. So just to be refreshed with Potomac, it felt good. And you know, the thing about Potomac that I love is not to say these women don't talk behind each other's backs because they do, but every single one of them expresses the same amount of confusion to Ashley's face as they do both behind her back and in a confessional. I mean, you really remember who they are when Wendy goes up to Giselle at the party and Giselle's just like, no, sorry, we are not doing that. No hugs. Like there is not even a hesitation there. What do you think of the Ashley Michael situation? I mean, how much time you got? <laughs> I just feel like when when she started then giving all the caveats to this divorce and separation and how actually they're going to buy the house together and she's having second thoughts and you actually have to be separated for a year and she doesn't have a lawyer and all the shit. I was like, I knew this was too good to be true. He's never going to leave. He is like the bug that keeps returning, the fly that you can't swat. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate to watch. I mean, the thing is, I don't know if Ashley is entirely in denial over the whole situation. It's not that I think she, you know, isn't in tune with how convoluted the whole thing is. I just think she has a much more casual approach than the people that care about her do. You know, like I think she's okay with kind of doing it in the way that maybe he sees fit. And I just wish she could channel some of the energy that her family and her friends have of like, no, there is an urgency here. We don't want you to have to be tied to this guy forever. Well, I think from her perspective, she probably has a blind spot, which is like, 
why is Michael different than anyone else divorcing their husbands? Like it's natural for a lot of people to have sort of that slow separation and kind of like ease out of it and take their time and figure things out. And like, of course, there's a natural emotional attachment there when you've been together for all these years and you have kids together. But from everyone else's perspective, it's like, thank God, hallelujah, finally, like set yourself free. We all want you to just be absolutely done with it and wash your hands of the situation. But she doesn't feel that sense of urgency. Like even though she knows Michael is a kind of shitty person and cheater and whatever. Like she doesn't feel that ick, disgusting feeling that we feel where we want to just like shut the door and never have to deal with it again. I mean, when she said she had a coochie craving for him, <gasps> I just, you know, Please. it's <laughs> no, I know. It's like, I one applaud the honesty because if you're going to feel it, at least say it. Like I do want to <laughs> hear it, even if I'm kind of disgusted <laughs> by it. But at the same time, it's just this deep sense of like, how? Like, I'm, I'm not even saying it with judgment. I'm genuinely asking, what does that feel like? <laughs> I don't want to know what it feels like. <laughs> like, like. It's just wild. Wait, oh my also, God. like, remember when they, we got the news and we were just saying like, she could just go out and get whoever she wants. And of course, again, I'll say like, you have to give her you know, the credit, it's not easy to just separate and leave and just go out and date and hook up with guys. But like, also I just am picturing her with like a six foot young, cool basketball player that will just rock her world. And I'm like, Ashley, you won't crave Michael anymore once you see what's on the other side. That's what I want for her as well. I think if she's sitting, let's say courtside, a Lakers game, you know, I think I just said that because I have Heather Gay in my mind, but <laughs> I just think she'd be forgetting about Michael Darby really fast and maybe I'm just projecting. Yeah, maybe, but that's just what I think is the sort of answer to all of these problems. You think Robin and Ron are ever going to get married? No. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> like, no. And honestly, there's a part of me that maybe thinks that they shouldn't. I don't know. I just feel like there is so little urgency from either of them. But neither one is going to be the one to like make the first move, get the ball rolling. Like things are sort of just good where they are. And they've been at every stage of a relationship that they could be. I think they're just kind of like happy in this little lull. Can I be honest with you though? Always. <laughs> I just, I just have a bad feeling about Candace and Chris. I know. And like, I always have to really think about the editing and how they want us to see things. And like, clearly if things were not in a good place, they wouldn't be going through this. But I, I just feel like this is the pattern with them. And I don't know. I just get really, really nervous. Yeah. I mean, listen, marriages go through rough patches. People fight. That's nothing uncommon. I don't think that bickering in a car is any representation of how happy you are. That's not what I'm saying. It just feels like for a while now, there's been this pattern of, a lot of frustration with one another. And I I don't know. You're right. Maybe it's just what we see. But I I don't know. That also could be very presumptuous of me to say we're only getting snippets. It just feels like a little bit more than your average tension. It just feels like a lot of trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Exactly. You know, Something that I was really aware of this episode with Giselle is that I know in the past she can kind of come off as stoic and she's the first one to say that she definitely has her guard up a lot of times. Possibly some of that is because of the Jamal situation and that was just a reaction to her feeling like she needed to protect herself. But when she talks about her kids, you see that she really gets taken over by this emotion that you don't necessarily see her exhibit in other situations. And I, I just love getting in touch with that side of her, even if it's just a small amount. I always loved Giselle, but I just specifically loved her in this premiere because I think we got to see every single shade of Giselle, like home life, shady, funny, the fashion, the house. Like we got really the full Giselle experience and I was so happy to have her back. Like she is what makes good TV. Yeah. I mean, listen, she's not for everyone. I know people have very strong opinions on her and a lot of them negative, but she just does it for me. I mean, She's not perfect. The way she handled this Mia situation was definitely not ideal. Like I got what she meant when she was talking to the women about it, but the way she presented it to Mia was definitely not setting herself up for the best reception necessarily. But at least she's true to exactly who she is. Yeah, I don't even think she cares about the perception. She comes in with a job to do 
and gives zero fucks and is willing to mention it all. The thing with Mia is like, forget about this particular situation because obviously I'm not at all qualified to comment on what's going on with her health wise, nor would I. Just generally speaking, I I find that I sometimes question her credibility with certain things. Again, I'm not talking about this situation. It's just the way that she presents information is inherently so performative in a way that I don't really feel it is with the rest of the women on this cast. They all have a good TV presence, but there's something about her that I, I don't know. I don't dislike her. I just don't know if I connect with her in the same way. I definitely don't connect with her. Something about her, I mean, maybe it's like the way we were first introduced to her has always left us with like an untrusting kind of feeling and like a bad taste in our mouth of everyone being so skeptical about her and kind of not clicking with her. I don't I don't know what it is, but I've not felt that connection with her and it's hard when she it's her second season now. Like I don't even feel like I have had a season with her. It might as well have been her first episode today. Yeah, which is unique for Potomac because I think that we do feel really connected to the rest of the women, you know? Right. Like Sharice, I haven't seen her in years and I'm like, oh, welcome back. You know, I missed you. I know everything about you. Or other franchises where there's a first season housewife and you forget it's their first season. You know, it's just like I guess it's very personal to the housewife and also just how their season goes down. But specifically for Mia, that's sort of just how the cookie has crumbled for her. I mean, think about a season two Mia versus, for example, a season two Garcelle. Like we were hooked on Garcelle midway through season one, her first season. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We like knew her immediately. I felt comfortable with her. I got her. And it's just such a different experience. I think she's like the most recent example I can think of where that was the case. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'll tell you one thing. I was not necessarily on my bingo card for Wendy going into the restaurant lounge business with Peter. I mean, I like just looked up for one second. I was a little distracted and all of a sudden I'm seeing Wendy and Peter Thomas having a meeting in a bar. I was like, wait, what show am I watching? I, and it was right after I had just read that Cynthia and Mike are getting a divorce. So I was just really, really thrown. And I mean, I guess this is a good entryway for him to become a part of the plot because somehow it gets intertwined with Giselle and him hooking up but like a premiere scene is pretty elite Peter Thomas yeah I'm sure that he was thrilled about it and and <laughs> you're right <laughs> no I saw I saw it around the same time that I saw the Cynthia Mike announcement as well which I, I can't lie I'm really sad for her I really really am I not because she should ever stay in something she's not happy in but I just thought this was it for her I really thought that she found it me too I I'm really sad for her, but at the same time, I'm not like shocked, which is weird because I thought that they were super solid. If there's one thing about Cynthia, she is not going to give up on love. I know we will be seeing another Cynthia wedding, maybe or maybe not on Bravo, but definitely in our lifetime. But do you think that this would potentially be a catalyst for her coming back to the show? Because yes. You know, everyone's biggest criticism of her is that she doesn't have a storyline in the way that some of the other Atlanta women do. And do you think that she would, I mean, make her storyline basically like, you know, the post-divorce single new era of her life? Because I would sign up for that immediately. Maybe one more season, then she's back. I think she's back. I think she loves it. I think she's a good time on Housewives. It doesn't rip her apart or tear her down the way it might with other people. She's such a natural. She's such a pillar. She's such a good relationship with like the fans and the producers and honestly even the other women that it is only usually I think a positive experience for her. So Mother's Day is coming up and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom cuz Realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her, but I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter, and it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. 
we have one in my kitchen and every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts, our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood, where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. So I was under the impression that the Southern Charm reunion was a three-part one. And when it ended after the second and I saw, you know, Andy started to make the final comments to each cast member and they're getting the toast, I was really thrown off. And I have to tell you, this is the first time in a very, very long time when I actually wish that there was another part of a reunion because I think what we've been saying for I don't even know how long is that with most housewife franchises, three feels excessive. You could get three done in two. And for this one, I was just having so much fun. I was like, I could easily watch another part of this. Easily. There's so much content here and there's so many characters that like to actually hear what each of them thinks and has to say, I think it could have easily been a three part. I mean, this whole part truly could have been dedicated all to Shep and Taylor because everything both of them were saying was like the most interesting thing I'd ever heard I thought like I just was so into the whole conversation and then it ended I felt like so buzz killed yeah I mean I think the Shep and Taylor thing really illustrates the point that we were talking about on Monday when we were recapping part one which is just the authenticity of these relationships like they are really, really close friends. Most of them really do go out together constantly. They really have ran in the same circle for a very long time. So when Shep and Taylor are going back and forth and it's very emotional, you're looking at the rest of the cast and they're also getting worked up for various reasons because they've been on this ride with them in a deep way. You know, it's not like housewives, for example, when one of the women is talking about their marriages and the other women are, you know, maybe a little bit invested if they're friends with a couple. It's so different. It's like, what a unique situation that Austin, one of Shep's best friends, is actually sitting on the same couch as Taylor and is reliving her experiences because he was there throughout all of them. Like when you hear about the way that Craig, for example, played into their breakup, that just goes to show you how connected they all are. Well, also just how deep their understandings are, like that at any point in any conversation, they can point to the other one and like reference it. For example, when they're talking about how Shep speaks to his parents, like, all of them or a bunch of them have been around Shep and know his patterns, know how he talks to his parents. They know about situations that happen off camera. Like they know about logistics. When Catherine is calling back to when Whitney didn't want to speak about their hookup on camera and, and then now he's fine with Naomi doing it, they have reasons. Well, think about the Thomas of it all or like they know how Whitney is behind the scenes. Like just the understanding on so many layers, like everything is so fucking layered that their individual understandings of it makes this so much easier because they can give us the context we need. And like they understand and can add really valuable opinions. It's not sort of just like their hot take of sort of what they think is going on. It's like, no, these are people we know from the inside out. I, you know, to your point about the Catherine thing, Catherine is definitely not my cup of tea. She's probably the cast member that I connect with maybe the least in terms of the women. But 
that was a really honest thing to say. You know, mm-hmm. when she said the thing about Whitney and how it basically made her feel kind of embarrassed and not worthy, that is something that I'm so glad she said out loud because if you sit with that, it can, you know, make you feel shameful, which she shouldn't. It's not her shame to carry at all. But like, I don't know. I just applauded her because I was thinking if I was in that situation, I don't know if I would feel empowered to say that out loud is probably something that I would keep to myself. And I mean that in a negative, like I, I really admired her for speaking so honestly. Same. And also because like she clearly has issues with Naomi that that was eating away at her even more and like contributing to why Naomi, I think just overall fucking annoyed her. So I was glad she said that. And honestly, it's just like an interesting perspective for us as viewers, like a callback to that and to help us sort of understand Whitney's just like kind of weird ways that he has and also again back to him being a producer back to him not really being a full-time cast member not coming on the reunion like he has the most unique spot out of like any of these shows or cast members that looking at his behavior when it comes to like him being involved with them is just something I could eat up all day long well, yeah. I mean, what an interesting moment when Naomi turns her and is like, well, yeah, but it also could have been because of Thomas. Like that's an interaction that I never would have seen coming. Naomi mm-hmm. is explaining to Catherine why Whitney maybe was more likely to show his hookup with her than with Catherine. That, t- talk about something that was not on my bingo card. No, 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 no. The bingo card was so wrong this week. I can't even tell you. Yeah, I know. I really also liked, I know we're totally going out of order, but I also liked at the end when Leva and Craig kind of had that moment because the whole thing at his party was off. I mean, they both handled it terribly. And okay, tell me what you think about this because I don't really know. I think that the way Craig handled it and the way that he responded to her was off. And I also think not having a seating chart was off, but it's not like she was innocent in the whole thing. He, I, to me, he was totally right when he said, why are you going over to my business partners to talk bad about me? Like I was on his page when he said that she was putting him in a strange situation. And on the reverse, I was thinking, what if this was one of her events at Republic, for example, and Craig went over to her business partners and started talking about her? To me, that would have been met with like, you know, just a lot of upset and and rightfully so. Okay. First, I think everyone is really overreacting about the seating charts. I think in a normal like setting in life, there aren't that many place cards. Like you sort of just can sit and it's a big group of friends. I think he had set up this particular party in not a great way where it was like 90% of the guests fit at one table. They put a second table that was the same size and held like eight people. So clearly you felt isolated. It just wasn't great. And when you're filming a show and the dynamics are this specific and this tense, you do need the place cards, but like they can't really say that, I guess. I mean, maybe at the reunion, whatever. I just felt like the place card debacle. Like I felt so bad for Craig that it wasn't some huge faux pas. It did contribute to drama, but it wasn't like the biggest deal in the world. With Leva, I just felt like it really showed how much, quote, better in just business she feels she is. And like, by the way, maybe she is. She clearly has a relationship with these people that Craig works with. And she felt like it was her right and she has the knowledge to go to them and talk about what's going on, what's going wrong. And obviously it uprooted these feelings that she has about him where she was immediately to say like these are the people who really run your business you know like those are not things you just come up with on the spot you've obviously been thinking about them for a long time I don't think she like came into this party with an agenda I think she got there didn't feel like she was being treated right and said like fuck it I am the big businesswoman around town and I'm gonna show you how it's done and I'm gonna have like a real adult conversation and Craig almost was like the kid. It was like, no, no, let the grownups talk now. I, I can't explain it, but that's sort of how I felt. And I don't think she meant for it to go that way, but she was in a bad mood, pissed off about everything going down. And so she sees the opportunity. Yeah, no, totally. And he was reacting in a way that was very, very immature. I'm just saying if the roles were reversed, I also think she would not have liked him doing that. I think it was just, you know, maybe, and maybe it wouldn't have gone down to that same extent because I would say, and you tell me what you think about this, I would say that Leva, at least from what she exhibits, to me, she exhibits a lot more confidence and security within her business practices. And that may come from the fact that Shep has kind of been taunted for his for so long. So it's only very recently that he's like, hmm, 
look at Sewing Down South. See what I built? I have this whole thing and it's a very legit business. But it took him a while to kind of prove that. Whereas I think Leva's farther away from the proving phase because her businesses have been successful in a different way for maybe longer. So maybe she wouldn't have reacted that way because I think it was hitting on an insecurity of Craig's. It just yeah either way the fact that they like genuinely made up at the end made me happy yeah i mean my one thing i would say is i think if craig came in and the tables were turned she almost would be annoyed but wouldn't care as much because she would be like oh it's just craig like he doesn't hold enough weight whereas craig is like oh shit leva like leva knows what to say she knows the deal she knows all these people around town like it held a little bit more weight i think it just wasn't an even playing field but it's a complicated relationship, and I will say I specifically like when they get along, so I'm glad that it went down, and I kind of feel like that's what the reunion is all about, is to like get over these like dumb, nitpicky things that actually shouldn't ruin a relationship. I mean, if anyone has seen shit that can ruin a relationship, it's these people, so this is just like silly. Yeah. You know, a follow-up to the conversation from part one with the whole Madison Vanita thing, like, if they're not going to be friends, fine. But I still – and even to go as far as to say Madison's anger could be warranted, I just don't like the dismissiveness that I feel Madison was meeting Vanita with. Because to me, Vanita's pain was genuine. You know, even at the end when Andy asks her, you know, what relationships do you want to mend? She says Madison and Leva. She doesn't say Naomi. She seems to not really care so much about Naomi. But I really think that the Madison friendship being ripped from her, even if you want to go as far as to say Madison was warranted for, it was painful. And I don't think that you can demand someone forgive someone, but I just wish that Madison could give her a little bit more grace. I don't know. I just felt it was really harsh the way she was talking to her as if she forgot that they had such a long-standing friendship no we talked about this last week like madison just can't once you're on the other side it's like all bets are off like she literally loses the emotion and i think it's really hard to sort of get back and like get back on the other quote side of the line once you're on the other like it's not real it's very very cut and dry for her yeah, which is unfortunate. You know, the other thing in terms of Naomi and Whitney was when Andy asked Craig his thoughts and he's like, no, I thought they were great. And I was like, wait a second. You're not about no. to gaslight the entire Bravo audience. I was like, are we watching the same fucking show? Yeah. Like you have been around this block enough times to know that you cannot just change the narrative now. Like you could not explain your way out of this one. You couldn't play back that footage and say, no, see, I was actually happy. Like no, no, no. Everyone immediately is like, whoa, 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 whoa. I did feel that there was a little bit of a resolve here because I think one of the biggest barriers to resolve this entire season was Craig's inability to have a civil conversation with her. Like he was just so triggered by her presence. And it felt like in this reunion, it was less and less of that. I just think Craig's biggest pattern or problem, or not biggest, but one of is he has such a difficult time like reacting in the moment. Like his actual instincts are always just so like electric shock is the best way I can describe it. He just like doesn't know what to say or do. And then he always looks back and like what he was thinking in his head is so different than the way that he outwardly like behaved or the things he said. And he's always answering or responding for them or saying like, no, I really felt this, but I emoted something completely different. And this was the perfect example of that is like, he heard this news about Naomi and Whitney. It rocked him to his core and made him just like have word vomit and maybe get mad and like run through all the motions. Like I feel like we're literally seeing his brain turn and he is going through all the motions and then landing on an emotion and then only remembering that. And here he is being like, yeah, no, I thought it was fine. It was weird. But we're like, wait, we saw you literally processing it and that's not what happened. No, I know. But when they were talking about it here, he could have very well stayed on that same pattern. And here he was like, no, you know, Naomi still has the capacity to push my buttons, which obviously he's not saying it in a positive way, but it's almost a compliment to her. It's almost like she still has that impact on me in some way, even though it's perceived as kind of a negative. I thought it was one of the most self-aware things you could say. It was saying not romantically, not because of anything else, just because she knows me really well and has a 
significant position in my life story, she's able to like have that power. And not many people have that. Like people earn that in your life and have to take up enough space. And she is one of those people. And I think him being able to admit that was like a big step and so different than when we were seeing him say like my crazy fucking ex-girlfriend and like she's the worst. I can't even be around her. I don't want to see you. And whatever he was just spewing all season long, I think this is sort of like where it landed is like, we can be fine. We can laugh. We can laugh about us showing up to lunch with Leva two different times. You can laugh about me being on the receiving end of the sex. But at the end of the day, I'm in a new relationship, but you hold space in my life and you still can kind of use that. Right. But for Andy to say, you know, you were kind of trying to run this narrative that she's the crazy ex. Like that was the first time that in a calm setting that was mentioned to him in a way that he had to really confront it. And I was... I don't know. Maybe it's like feeling a little bit vindicated for Naomi, not to say she's perfect because she's not. But I kind of think objectively, like if you watch this season, he was reacting in a way that was not at all like fairly correlated to her actions. No, totally. (laughs) Wait, we have to just spend another minute on, on Shep and Taylor because this was really intense. I am such a Taylor fan. I think we got so much out of her, more than we ever have. I mean, which makes a lot of sense. But her entire like outlook and explanation of this relationship and us finding out about that night that she was just crying when they were in Venice. I mean, this is like the insight that I needed when we were wondering, how did it happen? What was the straw that broke the camel's back? It almost makes sense that it wasn't some big thing because the big things kept happening. It was the small things. It was them being at a Michelin restaurant in Italy, which sounds like a dream come true for her to sort of realize we are not compatible and this is not going to work out. That was not what I was expecting her to say because that's not what she led with. It was almost like she buried the lead. You know, we started the first five minutes of this reunion with her calling him out for sleeping with a bunch of different women. And then we find out that, yes, of course, all of that and the potential infidelity and his messiness played into the equation. But really, a lot of it was just the realization of the incompatibility. I I don't know. I mean, we got a message from someone. I don't know if you saw it last week, which was like, I feel like you guys typically see things so fairly, but I feel like you're not truly understanding how bad of a person Shep is. Like, which I feel like when we were talking about it last week, we didn't defend him at all. I I feel like I said, I think that he's not the best person and he's okay with just not being the best person, which is like in direct contrast to Taylor, who I think specifically strives to be a better person. Like a lot of people viewing their relationship, I think would say, you know, Taylor made him better and Taylor challenged him to be better, which could partially be true. I just don't know if Shep wants to be challenged to be better. I thought it was so funny. I mean, especially given the whole context and content of this week's Kardashian episode that Taylor in the beginning quoted Kim in her infamous quote now, like, get your ass up and fucking work and forget all of the Kim, like, whatever she meant and all the backlash of that, I actually thought in this instant, it sort of made sense. I know it's crazy and I don't know how we got from A to B and connecting all of our like knowledges here. But what she was saying was like, he says he wants all this stuff. He is not willing to put in the work in any aspect of his life, in his family, his relationship, his doing better, his wanting to succeed, his wanting to have a relationship. Like he is fine sitting there when they're all telling him things. And he's like, yeah, that's just who I am. Like I'm not a good person and I don't want to work to be better. I don't want to change. And he's okay with it. And that was, I think her realization was literally like, he is never going to get his ass up and work and nobody, including me will ever be worth it to him. Right. And that's why I'm saying I obviously don't support Chef's actions, but I can logically understand how we got to where we are. You know, he's a privileged guy that has been able to exist in a way and treat people in a way that has worked for him because he's not only been accepted, but he's actually been embraced by most of the people in his life. He's never had to, quote, try to do better because being exactly as he is has always worked for him. And then you see the situation with Taylor where all she wants is for him to be better. And it's actually easier to have the relationship no longer exist than for him to have to be kind of deeply introspective in that way and to really work on it. And the other thing about this, sorry, I have so many thoughts. I I found this part to be fucking fascinating. The other thing about this is when Taylor's really 
you know, kind of going off. And she's speaking about a lot of different kind of sexual situations. And she's using relatively vulgar language, which I obviously didn't have a problem with. It was just the way that her emotions were kind of manifesting themselves. But you see that she's really having an emphasis on the sexual component here. And it's graphic almost specifically because I think that that's what triggered her. But there's more there. Like we weren't going to get it on this reunion and I don't even know if it's information we're entitled to, but the way that she was speaking really goes to show you there is more there in terms of, I don't know if you want to call it his sexual desires or the way that they play out, but clearly it wasn't just about him sleeping with other women. It was something very specific about the the sexual aspect of it all that Mm -hmm. was deeply upsetting for her. And again, we're not going to get it. I don't expect to get it. I It probably is a little bit intrusive, but she gave us just enough to know that there's more there. And that the notion of like him just using people or like everybody sort of just caters to him. That's where I felt like it all was sort of like tying into a bow and why she brought that up multiple times. Same specific language. Like even Andy was like, why do you keep asking about them? Like, why do you keep saying the masturbating? And I think she was like, hello, like, this is just like 101 of all of this shit all making sense together and why I can't be with somebody who treats everybody from top to bottom in his life in this way. Right. And again, I do wonder, this is clearly not the main point. It's kind of just a side plot, but she's the one that got me thinking about it. Like in terms of their own sex life, was she, not like was she feeling uh, fulfilled, but – I don't know. I just feel like the way that she was talking, there's, it was very insightful and I wish yeah. we could know more, but I don't expect to get it. You know, I feel like she must feel so relieved because this was like more than a full-time job because not only was she like in a relationship, which comes with its own, you know, work that everybody has to do whenever they're in any type of relationship. But then she was simultaneously also trying to like change and train this untrainable person and sort of like work on bettering him when he is doing zero and she is pulling 100% of the weight. Like, I I don't understand. She probably was just at her wits end. Like that is so much work for one person. And that's before even factoring herself into the equation. Well, that's when they say, you know, really – when someone shows you their true colors, believe them. Like you can't, you can't change someone. And I think that it is so at times enticing specifically, you know, in heterosexual relationships, I think a lot of the time women can get off on this idea of like, I can change him. I can be the one. And it almost becomes an addiction. And in the process you can lose yourself because the fulfillment of knowing that you change someone is such a high, high, but the opposite of that is such a low, low. Because when you don't, then it feels not only like potentially wasted time, it also feels like a personal failure, which it's not. Like that's their issue, not yours. But because you've taken it on as your mission, you then view it like you failed doing the mission. It's it's a very convoluted thing that I, if you hear me, my voice getting a little more passionate, it's because I obviously relate to that. Like, you know, and it's, I just, oh, it, it can feel so exciting to want to get in that, but I cannot urge people enough. Like really think long and hard before you go into a situation where you know there's going to have to be so much work. Yeah, no, And take on a project like that. And also not just like you're taking on any guy. This is Shep, like the most untouchable, unchangeable guy in all of town and all of whatever. Like that is literally starting with like the biggest boulder you could ever uncover. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot. It's really a lot. I, I just... I fucking love the show. They're good at what they do and it's a real friend group and it just does it. It for went me. so fast. It did go fast, didn't it? Yeah. It went so fast. I just I really had a good time. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify redness reliever eye drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. 
So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify Eye Drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. People have so many different reasons for wanting to learn a new language. Maybe you have an upcoming trip or just want to pick up a new hobby or a skill or just connect with a new culture. I know for me, when I was abroad in Barcelona in college, I'm not going to say that I was fluent in Spanish, but I definitely got to the point where I felt really confident conversing. And when I got home, my dad said to me, Emmy, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And he was so right. Like I entirely lost it. So Rosetta Stone has been really helpful for me. So if you are in that same boat or you want to learn a new language completely, want to brush up your skills, whatever it is, I want to tell you about Rosetta Stone because they're the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. And it really kind of immerses you in the language that you want to learn. So first of all, they're the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. So they immerse you in many ways. First of all, there's no English translation. So you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which in my experience, I know I'm getting it when I start to think in the language. It's an intuitive process. So you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences, and it's designed for long-term retention. Also, in terms of speech recognition, they have a built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation and it's convenient. So desktop and app options with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. And it's an amazing value. You're getting lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone has to offer for 50% off, which is a steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Comments by Celebs listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash comments. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash comments today. I'm not sure if anyone felt the same way during Salt Lake City, but there was a moment where I like turned on my subtitles because I felt like I wasn't understanding what was going on. And then I realized it wasn't that I wasn't understanding them or losing some of the plot. It's that they are such a whirlwind of speaking in like these weird cryptic messages and the plots and the people involved and keeping track of who wants what and where everyone stands and like what their potential missions are is actually so hard for me. It is so much work I feel like to watch this show and we're only three episodes in and like I said earlier like I am exhausted already. Like they literally do not come up for air. Well yeah first of all they do kind of speak in code but also I would say it's like 70% Whitney. I mean she has a very deep commitment to mess and chaos in a way that she somehow will continue, you know, to maintain that she's really just doing it for the betterment of the group and to try to maintain clarity. But I have never seen someone attempt to achieve clarity and then get the exact polar opposite. It's like, okay, maybe you go for clarity and you get a little mess. It's like she goes for clarity and she gets fucking chaos. I can't even understand how she keeps track of like the tangled web. It's so confusing. It's like, I don't even, how does she remember who said what and what conversations? And like, she needs to carry around a notebook. Like, I literally am taking notes on this episode and I still felt like I needed to like rewind. And it was a lecture of a class I wasn't understanding. This whole episode was just everyone going round and round and round in circles. And all of a sudden, Meredith is in Lisa's room checking on her. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I know. <laughs> no, that one rocked me. It's. <laughs> It's really mostly Whitney's fault, like honestly, and I like her. I'm not even saying that in a bad way. I genuinely like her. I just think she's. A I think mess. she's good intentions, though. She does have good intentions. She's not a bad person at all. She's not a bad person, but she takes on this role of like mediator in a way. But it's hard to be the mediator when you're also the person creating the mess. Right. It's she's taking on too many roles, and I think she wants to be a good friend and also a good housewife and also like a confidant to too many people, which is just never going to work. And then her allegiance is like to Heather, for example, which you think are unbreakable, somehow are going to get lost in the translation here. What I wanted to say to her in that one moment when her and Heather kind of go at it is like, I like you both, but I am team Heather forever. Like there's no world in which you're going to tell me that Heather knew a piece of information and she's going to tell me that she didn't and I'm going to believe you. Like there's no No. way. It was so funny when Heather's like, don't you think I would have loved to have that piece of information? Like if that was really happening and Lisa Barlow was really, you know, sucking dick for courtside tickets, don't you think I'd be the first one to want to have that? (laughs) Like it was – it's – 
the whole thing is so backwards. I just feel like this is not the hill she's going to die on. No, there's like, why? I think she thought Heather was like trying to gaslight her and Heather was literally just like, I did not hear that. And I, 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 it was just such a mess that they really, really fucked up on this one. And I'm, I'm excited to see what the conversation is like when they're sort of like settled down and Whitney's able to process like, oh, that is possible that she didn't hear that. And we never spoke about it after. Well, the uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for a kind of sober conversation. Not to say there's the biggest difference. Like Whitney is not an example of someone where alcohol changes everything because I think she's very chaotic when sober as well. But mm-hmm. obviously, you know, like most people and, and like most situations, alcohol definitely kind of amplifies that. I just – this whole thing was crazy. I mean, Heather's and then right. Jen's- and then Jen's like crying in the corner about like what's going on in her life. And it's like, Jen, there's a time and a place like we're just a little bit busy right now. Yeah, we have stuff going on. I mean, she <laughs> like if I'm her, what I don't understand is like this is actually the best thing that could ever happen to you. Let's actually take the attention off of you momentarily because it's like the, the opposite Erica Girardi effect. Right. Exactly. I mean, you know, the other thing in terms of Meredith is when – Heather came into her room when she was getting her makeup done and she said the thing about her coming off a little bit condescending. I was glad she said that because I really, really like Meredith. And if you ask me who's a more trustworthy narrator between Lisa and Meredith, I'm probably going to go with Meredith. But the way that she was coming off in these last few episodes, Heather was right. And I think that she's a good friend for saying it because I don't think that that's how she wanted to come out. Yeah. I mean, this just like to me, no matter what you side you're on or whatever, I felt like was the perfect example of why I love Heather so much is because like she's willing to say these things and be such a girl's girl and like be straight up and honest and say, this is how you're coming across. I know you don't see it, but I I need to be the one to hold a mirror up to your face. Right. And also, I think that somebody giving you constructive criticism on how to be kinder to Lisa, if that's coming from Heather, like that's when you know. Yes, exactly. Like that's you know what you I mean? fucking know. Right. Like this is not a person that has been riding for Lisa since day one. She, if anything, previously probably would have liked this. Like I think that was just Heather speaking objectively because she sees all of these situations, you know, in a f- more fair way than I think the rest of them do. Yeah. Well, that's why we need her around is because she can kind of like holistically look at the situation without her guard up depending on who she's fighting with at the moment. Yeah. Lisa's running off to go upstairs and call John was like really good TV. (laughs) And also her wearing like $500 silk pajamas when everyone's coming down in like trashy lingerie. Yeah, that was amazing. And and Meredith's I Love New York hat. Oh my God. She's really leaning into that though. I felt like we could only, you know, do either the mug or the hat. It's like a little overkill, but she's committed. You know what also I think is worth noting when – Meredith in the scene when they're at dinner when she says, I never fully confided in you because I never fully trusted you, which is like a real knife in the heart, you know, which may be true. But it brought me back to last week. I think it was when Lisa and her confessional was like, or or Heather, I don't remember. One of them was like, you know, it's one thing to be mad at me now. It's another thing to say that our entire 10-year friendship like was kind of a lie. And so for Meredith to say that, maybe that was true. Maybe if you look back at their relationship, she didn't confide in her in the way that Lisa did. But I think that if you're Lisa hearing that, that's like a dagger because that's not a reflection of the rant. That's like, these are feelings that I've had about you even before that. Right. And like looking back at their entire friendship that she spoke so highly of, it wasn't exactly what she had thought it was all these years. Well, I think it was always uneven. That's what I was saying, I think, maybe with Ryan Bailey. Like, I always think that Lisa valued Meredith in a way that Meredith didn't entirely value her. Not to say she didn't love her, but I don't think it was the same. Totally. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you and honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends, so I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. You're kind of killing two birds with one stone. 
Then the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to dot com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's dot com promo code CELEBS. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. I know in theory, you would expect that the Beverly Hills section would be the longest because so much happened and it very well may be. I'm just telling you, like, I don't know if I have it in me. It's, I'm so done with this season. I can't watch this anymore. It's like heartbreaking is the best way I can describe it. It's so painful and deep and all of the topics are so like actually real and affecting their real lives. And as much as I love it and I live for the drama and I can't wait for Kathy to come next week, I almost feel like I shouldn't be watching. Like, you know, we always reference those moments where we feel like we shouldn't be watching. I love getting real, but also I think we've, we're beating dead horses about stuff that is like so just downer. Right. And listen, there's a balance. For example, when Andy is talking about Garcelle's son being attacked on Instagram, that is something, it's terrible that it happened, but it has to be addressed at the reunion because if something that disturbing is going to take place, Bravo better take the opportunity when on a platform like that, such as the reunion, one of the most watched episodes, to deeply condemn it, to talk about it, to give Garcelle that moment on TV to talk about what it was like for her son. Like, it's hard to watch, but that's important. You know what I mean? It's like, of course. It's, it's the stuff between the women that is just, oh God. I mean, well, honestly, on that note for a second, when Garcelle and Diane are going at it, I commend Garcelle for her composure because she, she acted in a way that I don't know if I would have been capable of. Like Diana is just so deeply like annoying. You know, she just, she really rubs you the wrong way. And for Garcelle to be talking about such a sensitive issue to her and to still have so much grace in the way she addresses this woman, I'm like, wow, I tip my hat to you because I don't know if I could do that if this was my kid we're talking about. No, I mean, the whole like Diana thing is super weird about she's sick. She's only there on the video. She like barely, I think, is going to make that much of an appearance. It feels like they really went down her bucket list of things this season. And, like now she's kind of going to be out. It's so weird. Like I don't know what's going on. But getting into this was like, God, she's the – I Garcelle, like dealing with this all – uh, without Diana, I think was doing the most incredible job. And like, I really commend her because this is as hard as it can be. It's hard enough to be in a reunion, let alone have to talk about your kid being bullied like that because of you being on a show. And then for Diana to like come in and just have this attitude and like to pull up those texts that she was sending Garcelle. And I, I oh my God, I'm like getting annoyed and frustrated all over again because it was driving me insane. It was very, very unsettling to watch. There's yeah. just something about Diana, whether or not this is the case, that just feels so disingenuous. 
I fucking love Garcelle. Everything she said, I was like, yes, I agree. I agree with your delivery. I agree with how you're feeling. I agree with everything she said. She's just like an amazing person. Like not even is she just an amazing housewife in every way because she has such funny timing but also such like a good understanding and such like just a good head on her shoulders, which I can appreciate in this role. She's just like the fucking best. I know. I'm telling you, she is the best. Like the way that I felt about Karen Huger coming into this is also the way that I feel about Garcelle for different reasons, right. but just in terms of like where they stand in the Hall of Fame of Housewives. Totally. Okay. I want to talk about Crystal and there's a bunch of different things here. And I think we should start – and I should give a trigger warning here for um, disordered eating conversations. But I think we should start by talking about that because when they show the clip of Dorit kind of revealing this information that that Crystal had told her to the group and then Crystal talks about it, this was a moment where like I really felt for her because even at the time we spoke about how uncomfortable that was and even how we as the viewer felt that that was intrusive. So then in this moment to hear Crystal say how violated she felt viewing that and then for Dorit's immediate reaction to not be like, I am so sorry, was kind of strange. It's like, you know, she eventually got to the sorry, but she initially started to defend it. And I was like, this is one of those where you got to just put your pride aside. Like you got to just say, you know what? I fucked up and I am so sorry that I made you feel that way. I didn't even think it would need to be a pride aside thing. Like just knowing Dorit even, I thought watching that back, it would be so clear to her that like, you're right. I watch it back. It came off gossipy. It wasn't right of me. There was no reason for me to bring it up. And like, I cringed hearing myself say that. Like, that's what I thought she would say. So then for her to like be getting into it, like, well, I thought it was fine because you had talked about it with everybody else. And whatever she was saying was so like, just not what I was expecting. Again, not on my bingo card. No. Yeah. That's like the theme for this whole week. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) the second part of this is the conversation about the dark comments, which I have seen so much back and forth. And I know people are really, really split. So let me start out by saying, however you feel about this, I respect. And that is your opinion. I'm going to try to speak about this as honestly as I possibly can. And I want to hear what you think. For me, I think that there was a miscommunication in the way that this entire thing was handled. Because on one hand, if I'm looking at it from Crystal's perspective, I think she has every right for whatever the reason was to feel uncomfortable by a conversation that she had with any one of the women for whatever reason that it was. The issue that I had is she was, to me, really trying to rewrite history in terms of the way that she presented it because every single woman on that couch, with the exception maybe of Sutton because she really didn't want to engage, which I actually found to be um, very admirable, every single woman on that couch, and I think most of us watching would at least attest to the fact that in the moment she made it feel as though Sutton said one or multiple very specific, specific comments that were inherently racist and offensive and deeply, deeply problematic to the point where they were so bad that she couldn't even repeat it. That is what she said. That's how she made everyone feel. So for her to now say that it was more so a vibe and a tone, it's okay if that was the case. You're still allowed to have that reaction to a vibe and a tone. But I felt what was so unfair was how she wasn't acknowledging the way she initially presented the information. It's two separate things and both of which are fine. I just think presenting it as one and then it really being the other, that's where the issue arose. How did you feel? Yeah, I just felt like she almost was trying so hard to avoid saying like, I didn't phrase it right. It was more just a general tone, kind of my first impression. It wasn't something so specific or damaging. And I think to me, the biggest point, and Garcelle has made this before, was like, I took it that way. And I made it clear I took it that way because I kept asking you, like, what was said that was so offensive? Like, is it something that I should know as one of Sutton's friends that would maybe offend me and affect our relationship? Like, that's how we got there. And I don't know. It felt weird that Crystal earlier on hadn't said, no, no, it wasn't something so bad. It was just sort of my like first overall tone. And honestly, Andy was going super hard on Crystal and I don't think that was easy. And I don't think he necessarily needed to. But one of the good points he made was when she said, you know, it was just my first reaction. Like if she had made these comments or had this conversation with me now that I know her for a year or two, I wouldn't feel the same way. He said, well, 
why then did you bring it up a year later when you do know her? Like, what was the point of that? If you're saying that this is how it went down, it was this overall tone and like your first impression of her and not something so specific that you could write down on a piece of paper. How did it come up a year later in this way? Well, the other thing is in terms of the reunion, the way that this whole section went down was entirely influenced by Sutton's I guess we could call seeming apathy to the situation. That's the wrong word, but that's what she was presenting. It's like she was not going to really deeply engage in it. And that means that her and Crystal have worked past it. And I deeply disagree with Rinna and Erica in like, why is it okay? If they're okay with it, that's their business. Like if Sutton is the one that would have been the most affected by this and she is saying, me and Crystal have worked through it and we're fine now and I'm not upset about it, the other women – I don't think then can have an issue with them being okay with it. What I think is worth noting is like, take Sun out of the equation for a second. I think it has the potential, I'm trying to think the way that I want to phrase this, to almost like set a, a dangerous gray area because presenting something as if it's one specific remark and then it just being a tone, it really is two different things. And so I think that like there is something to be said for, forget about housewives, anyone on any show or like, people in general just not presenting information that's a vibe as like one deeply specific comment. And that is where I think like, okay, why are we saying that that's okay? But to go so hard about why Crystal and Sutton are okay felt kind of bizarre to me because it's like, it's not your issue. It Yeah. It was like all very weird and confusing. And then I almost think, was there a comment? And now Crystal wants to like protect Sutton. Like it just... It got so convoluted that I was trying to think about every alley of like how we ended up where we are and like how this like such kind of a clear instance could end up so confusing. Yeah. And again, if Sutton's okay with it, it's all it's all okay. I just wish I think what I was looking for from Crystal was to say, you know what? I will not take back the way that I felt because the way that I felt was valid and I don't owe any of you that. But I, I can understand how the way that I presented it wasn't consistent with the the reality. Right. The other thing that was so bizarre to me in line with Dorit's bizarre reaction was Erica's reaction to all of her comments about Crystal's eating disorder and eating and how she spoke at the party, watching it back, the chicken tenders and the laxatives, like the complete lack of remorse or even understanding or acknowledging that like maybe that wasn't right. Like she was fucking defending it. Like what? I know. No, I know. But see, to me, that's not even as bizarre because that's pretty on brand for Erica. Like it's off brand for Dorit to me. For Erica, she she just has literally no grace. And like, I don't even hate her. I think there's something to be said for the reality TV character that she is. But she just really is is very abrasive. What I don't get is like, put aside like humanity and what like a person would or should feel when they see this back and like what we, if we were in this position ever would say, like literally all that aside, purely image based, she is so stubborn that she's not even willing to give in and like look quote good for five minutes here and say, you're right. That was insensitive. I was not thinking, you know, I haven't dealt with this, like literally whatever and say like, I'm really sorry. And I'm sorry to anybody out there that this offended, like just, just purely to make yourself look good. You know? It's like she can't even do that. Like all the layers above it, she should be doing that. I wish that's what she actually felt. Like the remorse, it feels like that is the human response to a woman that you're sort of on a show with and have had months to reflect back on your behavior. But at the very fucking bare minimum, at least save face for five minutes. Like you don't have to ping back so hard on every single battle she can't help herself though. She can't help she herself. She can't help herself. But that's the thing. It's, you know, I know you can make the argument that it's because of the recent legal issues that Erica has developed this real defensiveness. And I think on some levels that would be true. But that's mm-hmm. always been Erica. She's inherently a very, very defensive person. And she has these walls that are almost impenetrable. And when you try to get something out of her, it, you're just met with venom at times. It's, it's, I don't, I don't understand her because I think that she could have such a happier life if she would just ease up a little bit. And I don't know if she's capable of it. I don't think she is. And I think everything that's happened to her has only hardened her to a place that's like, you can't go back. Yeah, I know. Also, just to backtrack for a second, I was really glad that Andy called out Kyle about the hypocrisy with 
you know, relating to Crystal's eating disorder and then Sutton with the miscarriages with Diana. And I was glad that Kyle was like, yeah, my behavior was terrible and I was drunk and it's unacceptable. Because in retrospect, the way that she handled that whole thing was just off. It was so, so bad. Like, I think she could have given even more of an apology. Maybe she has. And like the drinking excuse to me was not even it, but it had to be addressed. And also like the hypocrisy in that moment too. It just, it all didn't make sense. But yeah, like to me, that's like kind of how you look back at it and like say I was I was so appalled when I saw my behavior. Like that's like sort of what you would think would happen. Yeah. Sutton came out of this, I think, looking pretty good so far. Yeah, totally. Like I think she got a lot of points across without saying much actually. Like everyone was doing the work for her. But of all the times she was sort of wronged or misunderstood, they really were able to like sort it out because I think it was a lot of like sticky situations that needed to be circled back to in order to like make her come out looking the best possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think of any other major things that were touched on. I mean, obviously we have all these notes here. I think I, we're I just, just building up. Yeah, we. I, I know. I mean, well, the Dorit home invasion thing, I, I was glad that they acknowledged that the rumor yeah. and her she kind of her unwillingness to acknowledge it I thought was the best way to go about it. I know some people will still believe it. I we've said from the very beginning like that's just not something that we subscribe to. No, and I'm glad it even went so far as to like the phone being left at the front. Like that was something everybody just couldn't believe and it wasn't just overall like oh there's rumors. Like they got into the nitty-gritty of like what the internet is saying and I think that sometimes comes across stronger and Yeah, I I think putting that to bed was very necessary. And like, honestly, it's like that whole thing got five minutes and you just can't believe like it's the craziest fucking shit. And this whole season started and that was our biggest focus. And so much has happened since then. I almost forgot about it. I know she didn't, but it's just it was such a big deal. And then Kyle saying that her burglars called her and they were paying money. It was a shakedown. I mean, my head was spinning. Yeah, but that's what goes to show you. Every season you go on a journey with these women and like that's why people are wondering, wow, why are you so invested? It's like because you literally see every aspect of their lives, the highs, the lows. You know, it's it's only – it's weird if you're not invested. Like that's my response. It's like, what, you're just going to dedicate hours of your week every single week to these people to learning the intricacies of their lives and then you're just going to not care? Like yeah. of course you care. That's the human reaction. Right. No, that's – and we're just human reacting. <laughs> Yes, we are. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to mention? No, we have BravoCon this weekend. I know. I'm so excited. I'm really so excited. I cannot wait. Me too. Well, we posted a lot of content. Thank you guys for listening. We love you. Thank you for letting us do this. And Julie and I will be back on Monday for a regular episode. Mm-hmm.